I'm sure you would have somebody in mind who fits this description. Somebody who has absolutely wonderful timing, they're super talented, and they're hyper-focused on sucking the life out of your soul. You know who they are. Maybe they're sitting next to you. Maybe they are uh, across the country, maybe across the world. If they are sitting next to you, this is not the time to start throwing elbows or sideward glances at them. But you know, maybe it's a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, just a person with an innate ability to double your pressure, your double your blood pressure just by saying their name. Short of you know living under a rock, I mean that can be hard to avoid sometimes, or it can be hard to avoid the fact that sometimes vampires enter our lives, just people who suck the life out of us. And yet God wants us to love even these kinds of people. How in the world do we do that? How do we hug a vampire? How do we deal with those who just drive us nuts, who get under our skin so easily? Well, you know, I want to offer you a place to start. And this comes from what Paul, a letter that Paul is writing to, uh, to the church of Afe- uh, at Ephesus, uh, the book of Ephesians, who, generally speaking, they got things right. But the cool thing is, just to speak to how universal some of these ideas can be and, and how timely or how timeless they can be. This was a letter, like many of Paul's letters, that got passed around to different places. So it wasn't so situational like Ephesus was the only people that were ever dealing with this. But people in general were dealing with this, just as people today deal with this. Out of Ephesians 4, verses 25 through uh, 5-1. So then, putting away falsehood, let us all speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are all members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you have been marked with the seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray together. God, thank you always for the gift of your word and the way it, through the power of your Spirit, transforms us. Do that today, we pray. Amen. So how do we go about loving those people that just drain us, that just suck the life out of us? Well, Paul gives us some great ideas in the passage, and not just for those vampires in our lives. But really, this is the kind of stuff that's important to all people, especially Christians. Because... When we have a vampire in our life, when we have somebody who hurts us or who cuts us down or is constantly getting under our skin, how we deal with it says a lot to the world about us. Whether you're a Christian or not, it says something about your character. It says something about your faith. And for the Christian, it, how we respond to these kinds of people shows the difference that our faith can make. You know, let's put this into some kind of context. So we have some kind of uh, 
engine to run through this whole idea with. Let's say that somebody hurts you. Now you can define that however you will. Um, many of you have your own stories that that idea can, can go in a million different directions. But they've taken their shot at you. Uh, they have sunk their teeth in. And now the spotlight is on your response. What are you going to do? Well, Paul opens up with verse 25. And we'll just kind of walk through some of the verses and the ideas that these, um, that these verses give to us as far as how to respond. How, when we're under the spotlight, to show, to give a testimony that we are people of character, that we are people of faith, of a living and active faith. Well, verse 25 says, So then, putting away falsehood, let us all speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are all members of one another. You know, I mentioned in the past that if you can't let the hurt or the pain roll off your back or prayer doesn't seem to ease your heart about it, then whoever it is that hurt us, we have to let them know. We have to be willing to tell them because conflict, when it, when it is clear, becomes resolvable. We can do something about it when it's out there and we're all working from the same page. Now know that this isn't easy, but Paul says, use speech that builds others up. Now believe it or not, actually telling somebody you hurt me or I'm not okay with that can actually be beneficial. It can help the relationship. It can be beneficial to their walk of faith if they're a Christian. Think about it this way. What would it do to... Let's use the example of a, a spouse relationship, husband and wife. And one of them says something that, that gets under the other person's skin. What will it do? There's really two ways you can respond. You can not say something and let it fester and eat at you, which ultimately it may end up doing that. Or you can say something. And which one is going to make the relationship stronger? Is going to help mend that hurt and heal that hurt and make it even better. It's much like a doctor who has to give a wake-up call, who has to give a rough diagnosis, um, maybe even a bad diagnosis. I, I'm pretty sure I've never been a doctor, but I'm pretty sure it's not a fun thing. But when we're honest, everybody involved can do something about it. When the doctor rips off the band-aid, proverbially speaking, and gives the bad news, then on the other side of that, it's like, okay, we can do something about it. Here's the plan of how we can cure this, or here's just the reality of what the situation looks like. But until we are able to be honest, we never get to that point. Now, note this, that Paul says to talk to the person, not to talk about them. You hear the difference in that? See, the only one who can do something about whatever it is that hurt you is the person who hurt you. You're not going to get healing from the hairdresser or from the bartender or from your vented friend who will just um, agree with you on just how absolutely evil the other person is. Sure, that may feel good in the moment, um, but really what it can ultimately do is it just makes the wound bleed faster. Not a good thing. So we talk to the person who hurt us, not about them. And in that, we remember what Paul says in the very next verse, verse 26. It says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. I'll be honest, this is probably one of the very first 
verses that I ever memorized when I was in college. So let's get this one thing straight. And this is fortunately one of those things I learned with memorizing this verse. That anger is not sin. Give an amen if that puts in the comments, if that puts a little bit of ease in your life. That anger in and of itself is not sin. God gets angry when his people have disobeyed. Jesus gets angry uh, in the Gospels when um, his house, the that should be a house of prayer, the temple is being used as a marketplace or as a, a place for cheating thieves. Sin should make us angry. The People hurting other people should make us angry. You know, talk to a parent who has a child that's being bullied. Tell them they shouldn't be angry. I dare you. Then, here's your next step. Call the hospital and tell them to get your room ready because that's probably where you're going to end up. If, if you try and tell a parent whose child is being bullied that they shouldn't be angry about that. See, anger is an emotion. Just like joy, just like sadness, just like loss. By itself, it's neutral. It's where it leads, where anger can go. That's where anger becomes one letter from danger. But don't let it control you. Don't let it fester. That's why Paul says in the second half of the verse, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Because it can give the devil, it can give Satan a foothold into the situation. It can give him a place to, to set up camp. You know, if you imagine the illustration that uh, many people have of kind of the angel and the devil on, on the shoulder and, you know, trying to figure out, how, you know, the angel says one thing and the devil says another. And when we are letting anger fester, when we're letting it grow, when we're letting it be a foothold, it's like the devil has a, a, a voice that keeps getting louder and louder and louder. So best we can, when somebody hurts us, we deal with it right away so that it doesn't fester, so that it doesn't eat us up from the inside out. Now, there's so much meat to this passage and to this, uh, to this letter that Paul writes. I, I don't want to skip out, but I want to go on to verse 29, where he says, where Paul says, Let no evil talk come out of your mouths but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Now, ironically enough, this is probably the second passage that I memorized when I was in college uh, after I became a Christian. I must add a thing with uh, Ephesians 4 for whatever reason, but this, there again, there is so much awesome meat to this. But one writer says that Paul, he puts an embargo on all the words that are not positively useful. Now, it doesn't mean... By any stretch of the imagination, it doesn't mean that everything is just lollipops and gumdrops. Like everything is happy-go-lucky. As I said, telling somebody that they hurt you isn't a fun thing, but it is useful. So try adding these three words to your grace vocabulary, if you will. I forgive you. Now, I know that there's a lot of weight to that phrase. Uh, so let's do a bit of a comparison to just see which one we would want to have. Or which one we would want to be a part of. Because vampires, they are people who love bitterness. As Paul says in verse 31, just to describe them, um, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. These are the kinds of things that the vampires, the soul suckers, love. Even if they hate garlic. And unfortunately, garlic won't keep them away necessarily. But forgiven people, they can forgive others. 
as Paul says in the very next verse, verse 32, be kind to one another. Put all that other stuff away. And so what do you do instead? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. That, when we can do that, when somebody gets under our skin or raises our blood pressure and, and the world knows it or those around us know it, and we respond in that kind of way, being able to be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving as we have been forgiven, that tells a story. That is a testimony, a, a declaration of your character and your faith. See, vampires, on the, other, on the flip side again, to compare, they're archaeologists. They are people who are always digging up the past. And if they are hurt or they were hurt, they are replaying that video for a long, long time in their heads. Maybe even years. Maybe even decades for some, in, for some people. I know I've even struggled with that myself sometimes. And they see the person who hurt them and they instantly think of that painful incident. Whatever it was that they did. And the other person's identity becomes all wrapped up in, you're the person who hurt me by... Da, 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 da. And they remember every detail of it. And they never stop holding it over the other person's head. The problem is, when it crashes, guess whose head it's going to land on? See, forgiven people, they approach the conflict. They approach the person who, is, who has hurt them or is hurting them. And they have the fight. And then they move past. The difference is, when they are hurt or when they're angry, they deal with that one incident. They don't bring up the other 500 times that they were hurt either by that person or by some random event that has nothing to do with the person that they're talking to at the moment. As Paul says in another one of his letters, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, he says, speaking about love, he says, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. And here's the part I really want to focus on. It keeps no record of wrongs. See, vampires, by the contrast, they like to play the judge card on top of playing the victim card. They say, I've got all the facts, and you know what, if there's something I'm missing, I'll just make it up. I'll fill in the blanks as I need to, because I'm gonna, I get to render the verdict because that's my right as a victim. But forgiven people, they recognize they don't always have all the facts. They probably never have all the facts. Even if that just means not knowing what's going on in a person's heart. What happened five minutes before they said whatever it was that they said. They recognize that being self-righteous or having self-righteousness isn't going to be loving. It's not going to be being like Jesus or showing who Jesus is like. See, vampires, they, they heard the last five minutes of what I said and they thought of 20 other people who should be listening to this message. They're running through their heads. All the people they're going to forward these links to uh, and say, you got to listen to this. God forbid, maybe, you know, we took a, a glance across the room or, or at the person next to us and that somebody came to mind. But see, forgiven people, they recognize that they can be just as prone to the bitterness as the next person. And they know to look out for that. They knew to watch out for that. That they can be just as susceptible to the bitterness and the wrath and anger and wrangling and slander and malice. And so they watch out for it. So is there a situation that you need to be freed from? 
where you maybe need to extend forgiveness to somebody else? Is there a situation where maybe you need somebody to ask somebody to forgive you? Here's your next step. It's real simple. And it, that doesn't make it easy, as that theme has kind of been running through this whole message, but it is simple. Don't let the chance pass you by. As I said, it's simple, but it's not easy. But here's the good news, is we have an example of how this works out. Again, in verse 32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's Andrew's, one of Andrew's first memorized verses. See, Jesus loved us enough to forgive us. So here's our chance to pass it on. I pray you be able to do that and that it be that healing balm for relationships that have been hurt or broken or all but destroyed. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for giving your life so we could be forgiven. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit that when we are broken, when we are hurt, when we are feel like there's no hope in our relationship, by your Spirit we can forgive and we can find healing in you. And our relationship can find healing in you. Help us to have the courage to step out in faith and live that out, we pray. Amen.